The other day I saw a guy wearing a black t-shirt and it had green letters on it. The kind of green they had back when computers had that green letter on it, when it was just the black screen and green letters, and it was in that same font. And the words were this. There are 10 types of people in this world, those who understand binary and those who don't. <laughs> um, okay, the reason that's funny, binary is the code that computer programmers use to program computers. Ones and zeros are what it's made up of. When you enter the code one followed by zero in binary, that's how you code the number two. That's the joke. There's two types of people in this world. Those who understand binary and those who don't. For some reason, it just, man, it tickled my funny bone. And it got me thinking of all those two types of people in the world jokes. I'll give you a couple. I googled them just to find joy. There's two types of people in this world. Those that can extrapolate from incomplete data sets. <laughs> and that's where it stops. It just stops there because the other type of people in this world are those who can't. It's, it's funny. It's a joke. I like this one. There's three types of people in the world. Those who can count and those who cannot. There's two types of people in this world. Those that can keep secrets. And I can't tell you about the others. Little things like that. I hope you have something in your life that just brings you joy, that makes you laugh today. The reality is this. There are two types of people in this world. It's not accurate. You're always going to find some kind of outlier. You're going to find an exception that proves the rule. But generally, people fall into one of two categories. They tend to lean that direction. And on this, episode 32, look on, we're going to talk a little bit about two types of people in this world. Those of us who tend to be planners and those of us that tend to live in the moment. This is the Find Your Tove podcast. I'm Dr. Henry Graff, and like I said, this is episode two, Look On. We're finishing up a whole series on a line. We've already looked at the Shema, where the command is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And we looked at how Jesus quoted that command and added mind. The point of that command is to align to align our whole selves, to be all in, to have unity even among ourselves. We also in this Align series have looked at what I call the four looks. Look down where you ask, what is? Where am I? Look back where you ask yourself, what happened? How'd I get here? Look up where you ask, what's the bigger story being told? Today in this episode, look on where you ask that question, what's next? One of my favorite teachings of Jesus is when he said, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Oh, narrow there. The word, it's a Greek word because all of the New Testament, all of the Jesus stuff was originally written in Greek, the language of the people. The word narrow there is usually translated as troubled, afflicted, suffering, tribulation. I take it this way. Narrow is really hard stuff. What Jesus is talking about here is a hard, difficult teaching. The path to eternal life, it's difficult. There's tension in it. 
The word life there is zoe. In Greek, they have all kinds of words for life. This particular one is that state of possessing vitality. It's animated. It's an absolute fullness of life. As we look on and we go down that narrow road, aligned, heart, soul, strength, and mind, we live in a tension. I think a lot of times, if you're a Bible person, if you're a Jesus follower, when we think about the narrow road, it's a little bit of a paradox. We don't think narrow enough. What's the image when you hear narrow road? In my mind, the image that always comes up is a country road wrapping through hills. It's narrow. It's cobblestone. I don't know why that's the image. But narrow, the way that Jesus is using it, I'd translate it razor thin. I'd translate it tightrope. If you have ever watched a tightrope walker, you see that when they're learning how to tightrope, there's a tension, and yet at the same time, a looseness. There was a guy named Charles Bloden. He was the best tightrope walker ever. He walked across the Niagara Falls. They strung a tightrope from Canada to America, and this guy walked across it. He walked across it once in a sack. I guess that's the way to describe it. It's not as much of a walk when you're inside of a sack, like potato sack race style. He went across a tightrope from the Canadian side to the American side of the Niagara Falls in a potato sack. He did it once on stilts, walking on stilts on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. One time, and I haven't found pictures of this, but I found stories, he carried a stove and cooked an omelet in the middle of that tightrope. This guy was an amazing tightrope walker. He did it on a bicycle. My favorite story... He walked backwards across this tightrope, got to the other side, grabbed a wheelbarrow. He walked back across the tightrope, pushing a wheelbarrow. Then he went up to the crowd. The crowd was just in awe. He asked the crowd, Who thinks that I can do this with a person sitting in the wheelbarrow? And the crowd cheered. They all thought that he could do it. Then he asked, Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? The crowd fell silent. I love that analogy because it explains that word faith. Faith is trust. There's a difference between thinking something could happen and stepping into the wheelbarrow. As we walk forward in faith, as we look onward in faith, sometimes it means getting in the wheelbarrow. Now my guess is when Charles first started to walk the tightrope, he walked the tightrope the way Everybody learns to walk a tightrope, carrying a great big pole. The reason people carry that great big pole is if you're going to walk a tightrope, if you're going to walk a razor-thin line, you have to disperse your weight wider than yourself. Now, eventually, you'll learn how to contain that. You'll learn, like Charles, how to do that within your body. But when you're starting, you have to hold on to the left and the right equally. You have to disperse your weight to the right and to the left to stay balanced, to stay on the narrow path. The word for that is you need to learn to embrace paradox. 
Two things that they seem totally contradictory, but in embracing both of them, the truth somehow found. I was trained in either-or thinking. It's either on or off. Either one or zero. It's either dark or light. Jesus often spoke in paradox. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you lose your life, that's what saves it. Jesus himself was a paradox. Jesus was full God. Jesus is full God, 100%. And at the very same time, Jesus is full human, 100% human. How is Jesus 100% God and 100% human? I have no idea. It's a paradox. It's embracing seemingly contradictory concepts, and yet somehow that's where the truth is. It's a tightrope walk that if you go too far to one side or too far to the other side, you fall off. But as we learn to walk in paradox, we experience Zoe. We experience full life. Oh, how's this play out in the real world today? There's a pretty famous internet tech company, internet tech mogul named Gary V. And when people ask how to build a business, Gary V embraces a paradox. He says, you've got to go fast and slow. People ask, do you move fast, Gary, or do you move slow, Gary? And he goes, you've got to move fast and slow at the same time. Daily, you've got to hustle, you've got to move, you've got to move fast. You've got to reply quickly. Go, go, go. And yet, at the same time, as you build out your company, you've got to go slow. You've got to realize that there is no overnight success, that things take not years, but decades to build. The founder of Amazon said the same thing. He embraced that slowness. Jeff Bezos said, every overnight success takes about 10 years. <laughs> So how do we start embracing paradox? Well, step one is what happens when we look on. To look on is a paradox. There's two types of people in this world, the planners and those who live in the moment. And here's the punchline. Planners have something to learn from those who live into the moment. We need to embrace that paradox. And those who live in the moment they have something to learn from the planners. They need to embrace that paradox. So let's look at it first. The planners. What the planners are really, really good at is counting the cost. The planners tend to play the long game. The planners tend to start with the end in mind. These are good things. These are things to be embraced. These are things that Jesus encouraged. As you study Jesus, Jesus was all about discipleship. One of the first things he did when he started his ministry is he called disciples. He told 12 guys, hey, come follow me. I'm going to teach you what I know. I'm going to teach you to live like I live. I'm going to teach you to do what I do. And one of the things he taught the disciples to do was to make disciples you get to a point where Jesus looks at the 12 disciples and he sends them out two by two to make disciples. It's fascinating because a few pages later, Jesus is sending out 72 disciples. He sends them out two by two to do what he did. The reason those numbers are super, super important 
is because if you send 12 out two by two, you're sending out six pairs. And if those six pairs made disciples the same way Jesus made disciples, you can do the math. You've got 72. When Jesus was sending out the 72, well, let's put it this way. When Jesus sent out the 12, he was sending out his spiritual children. When Jesus was sending out the 72, he was sending out his spiritual grandchildren. When he sent out the 12, he was sending out his disciples. When he sent out the 72, he was sending out his grand disciples. His disciples made disciples. That's the picture of Tove, by the way. In every apple, there is an orchard. That's the reason it's called Tove. Because an apple can make apples who make apples. Living your tove is about multiplication, and discipleship is part of that. The very last thing Jesus told his disciples was go and make disciples. If you're a church person, the shorthand for that, the insider baseball, is the Great Commission. It's the blueprint for making disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. Here's how you do it. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is, you invite them into the identity that you've already been freely given. And you teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. It's invitation and it's challenge. That's how we make disciples. Discipleship is so important to Jesus. And yet, the book of Luke, chapter 14, when Jesus talks about discipleship, here's what he says. Count the cost. If you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to do this thing, if you're going to look on and step into this, before you do it, count the cost. Whatever you do is going to cost you something. So count the cost ahead of time. And here's the stories Jesus uses to illustrate his point. Here's the metaphor he uses. Which one of you, if you were going to build a tower, wouldn't first count the cost of the tower? Well, of course you would. You don't want to look silly. You don't want to lay the foundation and then figure out you can't afford it. If you talk to a builder, if you're doing a home repair project, here's what they're going to tell you. You need to count your cost plus 20 to 30%. If you're going to build something, it's going to cost you more than you think. Jesus uses another example. What king, what leader... If he was going to war against an army of 20,000 with an army of 10,000, wouldn't first stop and go, hey, I'm outnumbered, and send for a delegation to see if there's any way to avoid that battle. See, that's counting the cost. If you're an individual, you need to count the cost when you look on. If you're a family, you need to count the cost if you look on. And when we count the cost... We're counting the cost. What if I go this route? What if I go this route? What if I do this thing? What if I don't do this thing? Everything has a cost. If you're a business, count the cost. If you're a church, count the cost. The point here is to count the cost. Now, some of you, some of you are going, amen. You are naturally hardwired to count the cost. You are naturally hardwired as long-term planners. There is a strength in that. We celebrate that. And 
at the very same time, it's not tove to be alone. If you want to multiply, if you want to live your tove, which is really important, I say this in the podcast often, if you don't live your tove, then there is a part of creation that's left undone. Living your tove is so important, and it is not tove to be alone. We need other people. We need other people with other strengths, other gifts. There's an old proverb, and it says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Oh, there's a couple ways iron is sharpened. One way iron sharpened is it's put in the fire. If you're trying to make a, a knife or a sword and you need a sharp blade, you're trying to make an axe, you take a chunk of metal and you put it into the fire. And one way you sharpen it is pulling it out of the fire and hitting it with another piece of iron, a hammer. Can you imagine what that feels like? When we throw around that proverb, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Hey, sometimes it feels like we're being pounded when we're really being made sharp. Sometimes if you're a long-term planner, you come across somebody, you have somebody on your team, you have somebody in your family that's a live in the moment, don't plan so much, and it feels like you're getting pounded. What if... And I know this is a suspension of disbelief. What if that is actually shaping you and sharpening you? Another way we get sharpened is you take a knife and you sharpen it against a steel. If you ever watch a chef doing that, it's sometimes called honing the knife. It's making it sharp. The same way iron sharpens iron, people are sharpened by interacting with people that are different than them. This is especially true when it comes to those of us that are planners. That's one side of the paradox, and we want to embrace it. The other side is this. We also have to not plan. We have to trust. And so here's the other side of the paradox. Jesus says, count the cost if you want to be my disciple. Jesus also says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Live in the moment. Do the next right thing. One thing we hold in looking onward is planning for the future. What's it look like six months out, a year out, five years out? How do we make sure we steward resources well? How do we make sure we do long-term strategic planning? The other side of the paradox is don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to have enough problems of its own. To put this another way, in the Psalms, King David writes, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, when we're talking lamp there, we're not talking a beacon light. We're not talking a lighthouse. We're not talking something that shows you feet or yards or miles. We're talking about something that illuminates your next step, your next right thing. I grew up as a camp kid, and at camp, we'd gather around the campfire. It was beautiful. There was a rock there that was painted Ebenezer, and we'd call the campfire devotions every night Ebenezer because of that. We'd sit in old wooden bench seats, and we'd look over the campfire into the pond. It's where so much of my spiritual life got formed. And there was a singer-songwriter. Recently, my wife found tickets to a concert that we had went to back in 1997. His name was Rich Mullins. 
One of the songs we'd sing was titled Step by Step. See, what Rich did in that song is he quoted from the spirit of that psalm. He quoted from the spirit of Jesus, don't worry about tomorrow. And the chorus is simply this. And step by step you lead me, and I will learn to walk in your ways. Some of you listening, that is your natural bent, right? There's two types of people in this world. Those that plan and those that go step by step. If you're a planner, what can you learn from the step-by-step people? If you're a step-by-step person, what can you learn from the planners? See, to look on means to embrace the paradox, to let the iron sharpen iron, to be teachable and moldable, to learn to take that next right step. So let's get really practical as we look on. Do you need to count the cost somewhere? Is there somewhere where you just need to stop and go, hold on, what's this going to cost me? Is this the next right big move? What's it look like to carve out time to do that? If you're naturally wired step by step, what's it look like to press into that just a little bit more? On the other hand, some of you, you've got a long-range plan. You've got, man, you've got plans for years And what you can learn is to stop and ask the question, hey, what's the next right thing? What's my next right step? So as you look on, do you need to count the cost? Do you need to take the next right step? Please don't mishear me. This isn't an either or question. This is a both and question. This is standing there like Charles teaching somebody to tightrope walk and holding on to that huge pole where on one side is looking way on, looking years in advance. And on the other side, it's doing the next right thing. Please, my friends, don't try to do this on your own. It's not tove to be alone. And if there's any way that I can walk alongside you, if there's any way that I can help as you differentiate this, as you look on, as you try to ask what are the next right steps, or you go, where's the long-term vision? Please know that I'm here. I will help however I can. Because let's face it, we need each other. We need each other as we step further and further into finding our tove and living our tove. And as we do that, grace and peace.